Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. Remember the episode where you asked me, Chris, what is something I couldn't live without? Do you remember what my answer was? Yeah, um, I, I very distinctly do because I remember when you said it, I was like, there must be some troubling situations <laughs> that have occurred in this. Uh, very specific to the heat and cool air. Yes, air conditioning. That's I just right. feel like if I was born in the era without air conditioning, I don't know if that I would last as long. <laughs> um, but it is, yeah, it's, it's you know, heating and air conditioning. I don't know how people lived without it. And that is true more now than ever, it seems like. I think I also recently showed you a picture of my thermostat the other day when yep. it was 100 plus. I like, think it was reading 86. 86 Not in the house. Not comfortable. For those of us who have swamp coolers, you may feel my pain when we're enduring this triple digit heat wave. This heat wave is also making national headlines. Uh, there was a New York Times heat map on the front page just last week with the headline, quote, extreme heat is expected to continue baking New Mexico and other parts of the country this week. And you've likely heard News 13's Grant Tosterud, Erica Meyer, and also Zoe Mintz, our team of meteorologists, warning viewers about some of the heat dangers of the heat wave through parts of our state. So what does this mean for you, our listeners, depending on where you live in New Mexico? Is this just how summers will continue to get hotter and hotter, it seems like? When is relief in sight? We asked an expert to join us today to break it all down for us. We have Scott Overpeck from the National Weather Services Center Albuquerque Field Office is here at the KRQE studio. He is a warning coordination meteorologist here. Scott, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Chris and Gabrielle. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and just uh, talk about the weather. Yeah. Well, thanks again for coming into our studios. The sound quality is always very good compared to our Zoom interviews (laughs) as well. So thanks for taking the time to do it. So first, Scott, if you can tell us what is a warning coordination meteorologist and what kinds of things or weather patterns do you monitor within your role here with the National Weather Service? So like a lot of jobs, my job has a lot of different hats, right? So I can work in the forecast operations of our office, doing the forecast, doing the warnings, doing all that kind of work. But I also get out of the office, so it gives me the opportunity to do things like this, be able to talk with people like you about weather, weather preparedness, weather outreach. So a lot of those different kinds of things. I get to work with Grant and the weather team here, so we coordinate a lot with uh, with the forecast that we're doing, so we're all on the same page, right? You don't want to get a conflicting weather message because what am I going to do? So that's a lot of what I do, but I also work with emergency managers, so the people in our counties and cities even at the state level, that are wanting to provide that information to be prepared for weather events. But not only that, we have a lot of other events like Balloon Fiesta, State Fair. We got to keep people safe there. My role is to help provide weather support for emergency managers trying to keep people safe in those kinds of situations. I get to do a lot of different things and talk to a lot of different people. At the end of some days, maybe during your busiest time of the year, do you just feel like I can't talk anymore because I spent all day talking. It's it's funny. You would think that somebody like me would be this big, boisterous extrovert. I'm not. Oh. I'm actually an introvert, but I love sitting down with people. I love to 
just chat with, with what's going on with weather and things like that. Yeah. That does energize me a little bit, but yeah, when I get home, I crash. We've heard, you know, terms thrown around like historic heat wave over the last week. I was talking with a friend in Sacramento the other day, shout out to KRQE alum, Lizzie Mitri, and she said they were coming out of some consecutive triple digits days and joked that it sounds like it's headed your way to New Mexico. Can you give us some perspective of how historic is this particular heat wave? And is it sort of moving across the country like that? Let's start with what everybody wants to know. How long are we going to have 100 degree temperatures, right? Is that, that's, that's the main question that people want to know. Right. We've had a couple of them, two of them recently, last two days. And if you look at our forecast, we're looking at at least another seven, eight days where there's the potential for our high temperature here in Albuquerque to reach 100 degrees. How does that stack up historically? Well, the record is nine straight days of 100 degree temperatures, high temperatures in 1980. So we're, we're, we're in that territory. Right. We're flirting with the record, right. if you will. So eight days is the second you know, behind that. And that's, that was in 1990 and 1994. Again, a couple hot years there. Even think back to the 2020 we were having 100 degree days all the way into August. There were a couple in, in the end of August. That's how different some of these situations can be. And all depends on what we call a, a monsoon high pressure area. And this is a big area of high pressure up aloft in the atmosphere. So what it does is it tends to make air sink. And when the air sinks, we don't get any thunderstorm activity. We don't get any cloud cover, clear skies, it's hot. So that's going to be a trick, forecasting where is that going to go. And so, yes, we have that over southern New Mexico today, probably next couple of days, but it is going to drift a little bit to the west, drift back over to the east. So even going into the middle of next week, we're still looking at that potential for 100-degree days. So that's why we're looking at this consecutive day of 100-degree days, uh, looking at that streak and thinking, oh, you know, this, this, this could be – in jeopardy and there's the potential to break that. So we'll just have to see because there are going to be some days depending on how strong this area of high pressure is, it's going to affect temperatures and you know, 98 degrees is not a hundred, but still hot. Right. So we got to be careful. Yeah. And just to date this a little bit, we are right now, as we speak, this is Wednesday, July 12th. So it is very possible by the, that by the time you guys are listening to this, we could have broken the record, but is, is that, true that the weather pattern sort of moves across the country in a way like one area could see it in california and then maybe new mexico eventually so let's think back to last year we we didn't really have this area of high pressure set up over new mexico it stayed more off to the west so the areas like portland seattle vancouver you remember they were reaching 100, 110 degrees. Yeah, really dangerous for those areas because they don't have the air conditioning, don't have the uh, resources to be safe from from the heat. So that was last year. You know, this year that that same kind of area of high pressure. That's really what we're looking at here this year, and what is going to be the main factor determining the heat the next cups next few days. You do get weather patterns that generally move from west to east except during the monsoon season. And that's why we call it the monsoon is we get the shift in the, in the wind, wind pattern. So if this area of high pressure stays off to our east, say over Arkansas or the Midwest, 
then that pulls that moisture out, not only from the Gulf, but also from the Pacific. We get our thunderstorm activity. Everybody's happy. Of course, we got to deal with flash flooding. That's, that's the thing. And that's kind of the pattern that we get. And then once that breaks down in the fall, we start getting these westerly winds across. We get our winter storms, those kinds of things. So that's, that's kind of the general pattern and progression that we get in New Mexico. And one thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, how long have you been here? Is this, is this feeling of weather home for you? Where are you from and how long have you been here? So I'm making this home because I, I wanted to change and I came from a very different place. I came from Houston. So I was a forecaster in Houston for about 13 years. I did all the hurricane thing from Hurricane Ike to Hurricane Harvey, some other flash flood, big flash flood events, those kinds of things. But I got the opportunity for this, this job to be a warning coordination meteorologist, to, to do something different, to be challenged, uh, stretched a little bit out of the comfort zone a little bit. So it's been a good fit and I've, I've enjoyed it and get the chance to, to work for people like you and just, yeah, have that, that interaction, not necessarily be stuck behind the uh, screen of, a, of looking at computer forecast data and things like that. So yeah, uh, I enjoyed that part of the job. But it's also fun to get out and, and talk to people about weather. Yeah, absolutely. Even though they're relatively close when you consider the large range of the U.S., very different weather over there in Houston. I know yes. uh, humidity comes to yes. mind uh, <laughs> for sure. So when it comes to the dry summers and drought that we have certainly discussed the dry climate here in New Mexico and some of the changing weather patterns we've seen over the years, how much of this summer's temperature average would you say is maybe above normal or is it above normal when you compare to summers in the past? So when we look at climatology and we look at temperatures in the past, we typically look at a 30-year period. So this 30-year period is going to be from 1991 to 2020. So when we look at that period and we look at the temperatures now, we're running a good five, 10 degrees above normal for high temperatures uh, right now. So that gives you an idea that, yes, this is, you know, we should be having low, temp or excuse me, high temperatures in the low, low 90s. Okay. If we're pushing 100, 102, then we're, we're certainly about 10 degrees above. And, and the same can be for several different locations in, in New Mexico, not just Albuquerque. Uh, Roswell's had, had a big run of 100 degree heat. Las Cruces, several of these areas. So they're even running 10, maybe even 15 degrees above normal. What metrics do you monitor to know how long a heat wave like this will last? And how does El Nino factor into this? Gabrielle, that's a good question because El Nino does play a role. So we'll start there. The last three years we were in La Nina. So that's the opposite. And when we throw these terms around, we were actually looking at conditions in the Pacific Ocean. La Nina refers to water temperatures in the Pacific that are below normal. And then El Nino refers to water temperatures that are above normal. But the ocean and the atmosphere, they're right next to each other. They interact. So that changes our weather patterns. That's really what goes into going back to your other question about, well, how does that play into our temperatures? And it's these transition times. So we've gone from La Nina, we're now in an El Nino. During that transition, the, the atmosphere tends to lag a little bit behind about what, what it's going to look like with the weather pattern. Those transitions are tricky because we don't, we, we, there's, there's some kind of lower confidence in our forecast because we don't always know exactly how these areas of high pressure are going to set up. 
And so when they do, that's really going to be our key. And that's, that's something that we know when we start seeing these conditions build in the upper atmosphere, we can track that. And then when we see that high pressure break down, then we know that, okay, we're going to be getting out of heat. The real trick is, like last year, that area of high pressure was up in the Pacific Northwest. Now it's here. So that's a pretty, pretty good distance. And that's the difference between La Nina and El Nino or in this transition period to El Nino is that that's really going to dictate where, where and how that area of high pressure moves. It is all tied together. It just takes, uh, you know, looking at conditions over several months and kind of look back a little bit to really get a good understanding of how, how it plays a role. And as you were saying right now, that high pressure parked right over a part of New Mexico, right? Exactly right. That's what we're going to be tracking the next few days is how is this really going to shift? There's very, there's subtleties in how it moves and then subtleties in the strength. And that's really going to be the keys. Quick question, just to follow up on what you just explained. Is it possible then to look at, you know, the maps or radars that you are looking at as a forecaster and how many days out can you predict? Okay, we'll have, this is when it might dip below a hundred. <laughs> right. So what, what does the crystal ball look like yeah. a little bit? You know, what was this, you know, what do we, how do we do this? The biggest thing is we take data from satellites. So our geostationary stationary satellites, and then we take observations from all the airports. We take observations from weather balloons. So a lot of different information that comes into this and that's where the computers come in. So I spent many years uh, getting my degrees in meteorology, learning all these kinds of equations that thankfully I don't have to derive or calculate anymore. That's what the computer does. And so that's what they do. And we have certain models that will project out 48 hours, but at like one hour increments. So hour by hour, I kind of get a good idea of what that forecast is going to be all the way out to seven to 10 day forecast. And then we have climate debt models that do the monthly outlooks and monthly data of what the temperatures look like where there's going to be areas of precipitation. So we kind of have to bridge the gap between all those forecast models to get a complete picture when we're trying to look out, not only just uh, out the next seven days, but beyond that. For our local perspective, part of covering the weather in local news and for your perspective, the National Weather Service is certainly safety. What are some of the dangers that you are on alert for with consecutive triple digit heat days like this? I think the main thing is I, I think about our people. I think about our vulnerable people. We have several different types of groups of people that, you know, some are have the air conditionings and the swamp coolers in our houses and we can, we can stay cool, but there are people in our, in our city that just don't have that. So I worry about our elderly. I worry about the people that are outside, people working outside and have to work in this heat. So those are the ones that really need to be taking it easy. And the effect of the heat day after day, day after day, is it's cumulative. And so it may not be that first 100 degree day. It may be the third or the fourth that really uh, affects people. I think that's where I, I, I really get worried about is, you know, how are we going to be able to have uh, cooling centers? So the city is opening cooling centers to help with, with that, help provide shelter for people to go in, take a break. Maybe you take a break in the library. Maybe you go places where there are uh, air conditioning. 
you know, we have a couple of malls, shopping malls that we can go to. So those are some of the places that, okay, maybe we need to spend some time there just so that we can get out of this heat and get a break from the heat. And then the other thing that's not really explained very much is the low temperature. Typically we tend to cool down here in the, in the Rio Grande Valley and cool down pretty good where temperatures, you know, at night get into the sixties and seventies. Well, the last, last couple mornings, the low temperature at the Sunport was 78 degrees. Okay. If our low temperatures are not cooling down as much, then our houses aren't going to cool as much during the night. And it just kind of compounds upon that. So that's, that's another issue that we kind of have to think about is hopefully that at night we lose some of the cloud cover or winds let up and that really allows for conditions to cool. And the last couple of mornings we've had a little bit more cloud cover, had a little bit more wind around and it's held that temperature up when it should be cooling down. Yeah. I was looking at Gabby <laughs> when you were saying that and at yeah, night, she, she it's can feel still that. really yes. hot at yeah. night in my house right now. I'm, I know. Yeah. It's just, I don't know if it's the Adobe, but this is leads. It's a good segue to my next question, which again, you can, you might hear this comes from a personal experience from myself, but um, you know, to circle back to something I referenced earlier, if you're not from New Mexico, you might not know what a swamp cooler is, but it is something a lot of New Mexicans use to cool their homes because as I understand, you know, it really only works in a dry climate environment. It wouldn't necessarily work, you know, with certain humidity levels outside that you might see in Texas, for instance. So I half joke, but it really can only cool the interior of a home so much when you have these consecutive 100 plus days. Let me ask you a forward looking question when it comes to safety. If we are expecting summers to get hotter and hotter, I know you're not an HVAC expert, but do you think that we may have to, you know, have some sort of overhaul with how people cool their homes in the long run? Because some of the calls that we get in the newsroom during these heat waves are from the elderly or people who live in apartment complexes with swamp coolers where it sounds like, you know, maybe the maintenance people aren't fixing them in time and people are just baking. So I think that's an interesting question in the aspect of, I'm going to say the words, climate change, okay? Because that's kind of what we're dealing with here. And the trends have been for our climate to be warming. I mean, that is what the data shows. It doesn't really matter what's causing it. The reality is we got to deal with it, right? So that's what we're having to look at with that question is, how do we deal with our climate warming up and the impacts from it? Yes, I, I think there's going to have to be some type of initiative to work where we have a better way to keep our homes homes cooler. Maybe it is a switch away from swamp coolers to more of a, you know, the true air conditioning, those types of things. Those are, that's really what's going to be kind of going to be the investments in the future is how do, how do we deal with these kinds of changes in, in the climate? Yeah. When you look at that 30 year average, you mentioned this is like, you know, five, 10 degrees higher than the last 30 years. Do you anticipate that to like, you know, continue to climb? Well, I wish I had the data from what our 30-year normals were from 1980 to 2010, and then comparing that to the temperatures that we now have as our climate normals from 1991 to 2020. Because what you do see is the average temperature for just each month, about a degree higher 
for the Albuquerque area between those two sets of normals. So that's, that's the evidence that shows that, okay, yeah, we're, we're warming. Are we going to see temperatures more regularly 10 degrees above normal on a day-to-day basis? Uh, that, that's, that's the tougher question to answer and really going to get down to the nitty-gritty more forecast weather details than just climate. The climate gives us evidence and a basis that things are changing. So how do we adapt? How do we account for that going forward? So we know it can also be pretty different depending on where you live in the state, right? Southeastern New Mexico, it gets much hotter than, say, the northern part. Who's at the so-called maybe highest risk when it comes to heat waves in our state? So if we're just thinking about locations, uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned the southern part of the state, and I think that that's definitely the place to start. You're looking at Los Cruces, you're, you're looking at Roswell, you're looking at uh, even Socorro up through the Rio Grande Valley, including Albuquerque in that, probably not yet. But when you think about the heat, when you think about the, the hot areas in the state, those are definitely the places that you uh, will point out and, and gravitate to. So something that, you know, when you're traveling around the state and you want to visit some of these places, yeah, don't go to the White Sands <laughs> in the summertime, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll all right reflect right back in your face there right. <laughs> with all of that sunshine and yeah, white sands as well. No shade yeah. out there. One of the things that they continuously warn people out with all of their uh, published materials about visiting out there. Absolutely. Does this summer's outlook so far give you any insight into what sort of fall and winter we might see? I think that's where El Nino really plays a big role. Looking out into say the end of this month, August, September, looks like everything's shaping up that, okay, we're seeing signs of the monsoon season's really going to start to kick in a little bit. Is it going to be like last year? No, it's not going to be like last year. Last year was ridiculously active and just, but that's what people remember. That's what's last in their, their memory. So when we look at precipitation in August, if we even just get near normal precipitation for August, which I think is more likely compared to the last couple of months, that's going to seem like a lot. Reality is, yeah, we're going to have some bursts. We're going to have some weeks where, okay, yeah, we're going to have some good, good thunderstorm activity and there's going to be a week or two. Okay, we're not going to get much of anything. So how much does that really play into the fall? I'm not sure how much of a connection there is between monsoon season and then El Nino. El Nino is really going to be what drives pattern for the fall and going into the winter. And most years like this, when we transition to El Nino, uh, I think you think back to, I won't say 2015, but there were some wet years there where we transitioned into an El Nino and the falls were, were, you know, we got some decent rainfall. So that's kind of what the longer range projections look like is that as we roll into say November, December, probably see an increase in, in, in uh, precipitation, maybe as early as October, start to see that. Even last October, we had a pretty, pretty wet October. So, but those, those are, that would be really beneficial because, you know, I haven't really talked a whole lot about the snowpack. I'm not sure if we want to get into that, but that's, that's really going to be the key going into the next year, kind of like we saw this year, having all that snowpack finally run off, get into the rivers. Uh, that's, that's really beneficial in keeping us out of, out of drought conditions. Should we expect as active of a snowpack sort of situation as we saw last year, maybe this year? 
a little hard to say just this just far out and we're still what six months out from from december five months out so you know the trends are for typically november december january and then going into february typically most years when we're in el nino we can expect above normal precipitation what that looks like is it going to be all rainfall is it going to be snow that gets down into the nitty-gritty details of what these storm systems look like and that's where where our science breaks down and in, into the longer term forecasting is that we aren't always going to know exactly what those temperatures are going to look like with those storm systems certainly the higher terrain areas you're going to get your snow is it going to be like last year that's still going to be a tough question to answer at this point the hopes would be to have that probably more something near average uh, snowpack, which given the last few years, we'll still take that because that could still lead to some good runoff and really is going to be the key moving forward going into next spring. So lots of people did note that high flowing river at the start of the summer, the wet weather we had initially. How does the rain or moisture play a role in the summer month climate outlook? I think the biggest thing is we got to think about is when we don't have precipitation, the ground's dry. So that's where the drought comes in. And I want to say it has a memory, but it kind of does in that where you have dry conditions, you also have the heat because uh, the ground is just going to be putting all that heat back up to the atmosphere. So when we have moisture and we get that moisture into the ground, the ground's at a lower temperature. Uh, We don't get that feedback mechanism quite as much. And so the wetter grounds are going to really hold those temperatures down. We keep that moisture in the ground come fall and winter. And then that's going to help because come the melt, typically if we have dry grounds, all that melt is going to go into the ground and not into the streams, not into our tributaries, not into our rivers, not into the arroyos. Just gets sucked right in like a dry sponge. And that's what happened last year. So this year we had the good monsoon, we had the good snow pack the year before, boom, we have really good runoff from the snow melt. It's always fascinating to hear just how many factors and data points go into forecasting the weather. Cause we know, you know, even just from our own team, it is a science and we appreciate you um, sharing this with us, but is there anything else that we didn't ask you about that you feel like is important to share along this topic? I think the main thing is, and we kind of touch on this already, but when we think about the monsoon season, the summer, uh, it's not just, you know, we want the rain. It's not just that, but it is the heat. And so we, we got to pay attention to that. You know, even, even, you know, when we do our errands on a day-to-day basis, you know, if we're dropping our, our kids off at daycare, make sure you check the back seat. That's a common thing. You wouldn't think that, you know, you would forget about that. But if you do something that's just a little bit out of your normal routine and you could easily forget something. And and unfortunately we hope that's not, not your child, but we want to make sure that people are aware that, Hey, we got to be careful with, with uh, our errands and what we're doing in our lives, pay attention. And then it comes down to, can we stay cool? Those kinds of things on the flip side, we do get those thunderstorms activity going. There is going to be the chance for flash flooding so that's another another hazard that we have to worry about. We didn't talk too much about the burn scar flash flooding potential. That's still there for Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon, still there for McBride Fire. Uh, there's been a lot of mitigation efforts to help shore up that uh, those impacts are, are minimal from flash flooding debris flows. But we really do have to pay attention and 
these things can flip on a switch. We can go from the heat to the floods uh, pretty quickly. So uh, really got to stay, stay weather aware in these situations. One other last question for you as somebody who has spent their career and studies, you know, looking into meteorology, storm systems, weather, do you have a favorite weather event that you like to think of or discuss you know, that comes to mind when you think about all of the weather that you've seen over the years? Well, I, I can actually point to probably a couple events and I'm a, I'm a pool one, you know, pool last year. I'll talk about that last year. Last year, you know, we went from horrendous fire weather conditions, tremendous winds, low relative humidity, straight into the monsoon season. Those burn scars are fresh highly, you know, severe burns areas, flash flooding almost on a daily basis. So probably one of the more active uh, years that I've had in, in my career, certainly so. Back in Houston, I, I did go through Hurricane Harvey, 50 inches of rainfall, complete opposite of what you would, you know, hope to ever get here in, in New Mexico. But yeah, those, those two events, I mean, I really can't say one was more impactful than the other. They're very different events, but the amount of work and the opportunity to take pride in that work, I, th I think, was was really what sticks out to me as as kind of those two career kind of big events that uh, stick out in my mind, and, and I really appreciate being a part of. And it, it is a team effort. I mean, this is these kinds of events involve not just me, but everybody in our office, and we we completely understand and know that. At least when it came to the wildfires and then the, and then the flash flooding, you know these these are affecting people, and we're a part of the community just like everybody else. And really, really wish that it didn't happen, but we are glad that we played a role that we could help help people stay safe, and we hope that uh, we made a difference in people's lives. Safety is definitely a huge part of why we cover the weather and why we pay attention to you all so frequently as well. I know we mentioned you know children and keeping people cool and safe as well. But I also want to shout out to the pets yes. because that's another huge issue too. If you've got livestock or pets outside, dogs, cats. Yeah. We, we, we normally think about, you know, our pets going out on walks. Well, hot, hot concrete really can, you know, do a number on your dogs uh, or, you know, even cats, uh, paws. You mentioned the agriculture though. I mean, in, in the livestock, I mean, that's, that's a big part of it too, is that, you know, we got to make sure we're taking care of our cattle because that is a big, big industry in our, in our state and, and something that, that people really, we don't always think about. So, Well, Scott, thank you. Appreciate your time. I appreciate it. enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you for, for being here and uh, keep up the good work there with you and the, the team over there at the National Weather Service. Again, to Scott Overpeck from the National Weather Service in the Albuquerque Field Office. We appreciate the conversation. Just what an important role that they play, not only for our team here, forecasting the weather for you at home, but you know, online, you can check all their social media accounts and just see a slice of the work that they do in trying to get the word out about uh, the heat. Yeah, and a, and a big portion of that is safety. So make sure to tune in to your local weather channel and watch Grant's forecast. Don't miss it. That would be channel 13. 
Not just any local weather channel. Channel 13. Channel 13, right. To be clear. <laughs> yes. And in the meantime, you can always pitch us your story ideas or who you would like to hear us interview for the show. Email me at gabrielle.burkhardt at krqe.com and gburknm on social media. I'm at Chris McKee TV and also chris.mckee at krqe.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.